Hello, beautiful people. Welcome to this new episode of the Montpelier Happy Hour here on WVEW 107.7 LP Brattleboro, your community radio station. I'm your host and producer of the Montpelier Happy Hour, Olga Peters. And this is the show where we talk about how everything in Montpelier shakes out for the rest of us. And hey, regular hey. contributor, Emily Kornheiser. Good morning. Good morning, Olga. Because <laughs> yes, everybody, well, you'll see this, you'll hear this on Friday afternoon. We are recording on a very slow Monday morning, getting ready for the week. Yes, getting ready for the week. And I sort of appreciate that our listeners don't need us to lie about it anymore. It's just they're joining us in the afternoon, in the morning. They get to time travel. It's good. Yeah. Who knew we were such good time travelers? We didn't know this when we started the show. Oh, I think we knew. <laughs> we like, we have all these skills. We must put them out in the world. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so, hey, Emily, let's dive in and talk about H66, which many people probably know as the Paid Family Medical Leave Insurance Program, which I believe you are one of the lead sponsors on. And it's currently in the House Committee on Appropriations being reviewed by them. What's what's new? I'm, this this bill has been floating around for a couple sessions now. Is there anything new that we want to let people know about or anything that has changed? Yeah. And there's all kinds of really fun politics connected to it, too, that we can get Ooh. into. That's what we do here, right? Mm-hmm. Gosh, the trees outside my window are really broken. So, yeah, this storm last week kind of, I think, was a sucker punch for a lot of people. Yeah, let's talk about the storm first before we talk about family medical leave. Okay. okay. Like, let's lay the ground for our neighbors here. So <laughs> I would like to give a full declaration to all of my constitu- constituents. If you emailed me to say that the power was out and I said I'd let GMP know and then your power went on, I did not make any magic. <laughs> and I feel very bad taking credit for it. I... At home, everyone's been saying I should just take the win, but I, no, I did not, I will not take any credit for it. I did forward your email on, it was received, but in all cases, GMP was already aware that your power was out and they had crews everywhere working so hard to restore people's power. Folks came from Canada and Maine to help us out. Mm-hmm. Up in Northern Vermont, there was like really very little impact from the storm, but down here, it was a wild, wild wallop. There are so many trees down in my yard right now and like every inch of my street it's yeah we were out power out of power for four days oh somehow the milk did not spoil very confused about it still but excited and um yeah it's just really you know when that happened Olga you must have had a wild time out in the I I did knock on wood I was sure we were going to lose power And there were some trees like hanging on lines that I was like, oh, it's going to be bad. And at least on on my street, we did not lose power, which thank you. Thank you, weather gods. But I it did my poor. I I have to say my heart goes out to every snowplow driver and anyone who was shoveling these this last week, because in Whitingham, we got. I've heard estimates of 30 inches and and estimates of 40 inches. And my snowplow guy, for no other reason than the storm was just huge and he had some some trucks break down. 
I was stuck in my house for like three days to the point where I'm thinking, hmm, the pantry's getting a little low. <laughs> I'm going to have to hike it out to the road. So it was a little wild. The drifts, multiple times I would open my door and the snow had drifted up against it. So you had to shovel yourself back out of the house. Yes. Yeah. So it was fun. I have some photos I will share with you, Emily, at some point of me finding the internet. Oh, you sent me a picture of you finding the internet. Oh, that's right. I did. (laughs) So that was fun having to find this white internet satellite in a white snowbank. (laughs) (laughs) My, some other neighbors had some wild times. Wilmington got even more snow than Whitingham, I think. So, yep. We're still digging out. Yeah, no, 30 to 40 inches here, still digging out mm-hmm. as it melts and ice is over. Right, and then the rain, and then yesterday was brutal. Yeah, I'm yeah. a little worried about the flooding. But what I think is, you know, as I was actually going up this week, I went up the night a night so earlier you missed, than I usually you missed do. In order to, yeah, in order to avoid the storm. And I was going up with Tristan Roberts, the new rep for Whittingham and Wilmington and Halifax. Mm-hmm. And we were talking about our memories of Irene and um, all the way back then, Tristan and I have known each other for a long time. We went to college together and I was actually living up in Burlington. So I missed, I was like a Brattleboro person, but I've moved up to Burlington to go to grad school. I'm going to circle this back to politics. It's going to be amazing. I'll go watch me work. And, you know, Irene wiped out so many people's access where Tristan lived. They couldn't get out for about a week. Yeah. Right on the well, and I'm going to jump in quickly yeah. and say I was saying many thanks to Irene because I think we didn't lose power in part because of all the massive repairs that were made during Irene. Oh, interesting. That's my theory. I have no proof, but. Hmm. Okay. So I came down about two weeks after the storm, I think, for a small party at a friend's house. I think it was her birthday. And this was like. These were friends who like lived fairly down in the hippie hole or up on the hippie mountain or however you want to describe it. Like these were, these are a group of folks who like tan and homes, like they moved to Vermont to homestead. Right. And it's meaningful to them. And I went to this party and I was like the only one, not from not like, you know, having just survived the storm. So it was like sort of intense to see all these people, you know, storm bonding as people do and to not be part of that. And you know, this was a storm, right? Where like we had helicopters airlifting water and supplies to people. And so many people at that party were like, I should have canned more. I should have been more prepared, right? And my reaction, and Tristan and I were talking about this because he was like a canner back then, right? He's not really a canner anymore, but he was a canner back then. And he was at the same party. Oh, that makes me like Tristan even more. Yes. Yeah. And (laughs) But how that storm for me was like this, and I'd been sort of like, you know, vacillating between like living in Burlington and like wanting to be an urban person and um, being a canner. (laughs) And (laughs) urban versus canning. (laughs) Oh, that needs to be on a t-shirt. Yes. Yes. And so there's not, and like urban canners, what are they doing? Like you can just buy this stuff. You don't need to do it. They're already in cans right down the road. It's like the funnels in Manhattan. Anyway, so... (laughs) And my takeaway from a storm of that size is because that same year, the farm near me in Burlington, the Intervale had been totally flooded out like fish in the fields, right? It was an early summer storm that like just hit that area. And didn't hit 2011 down. was a rough year. Yeah. 
<laughs> as, as was 2022 and 2023 yeah. likely will be. So, okay, here's the thing. This is about the rough years. So my takeaway from that was like, oh my goodness, I am so grateful for civilization that like while our crops are decimated here in Vermont or while our roads are not working here in Vermont or while our power grid is out here in Southern Vermont, we have folks from other states. We have canned goods that can be trucked across the country. Like I don't want to default to that all the time, but like so grateful for this incredible infrastructure and all of the support systems around this incredible infrastructure that like make it possible for with us to withstand a storm, right? Like I, that's my takeaway. Like, oh my goodness, thank you government. Thank you civilization. Like we can withstand storms because of this. It's very true. It's so true. And so H66, the family uh, medical uh, leave insurance bill. Very crafty, yes. Thank you. It's not, <laughs> not even being crafty. This is actually how I think is like it's in place. The idea is we put it in place. We all publicly collectively fund it, right? I'm not supposed to use the phrase collectively because it's too socialist, but we all publicly fund it. <laughs> we all kick it a very small amount. So the average weight, the average amount that a Vermonter would pay in, someone who makes the average wage in Vermont would be paying in just $125 a year, Woo. right? Like not so bad. And in turn, we get the protection available to us anytime if we have a storm in our own lives, right? Mm -hmm. If we have baby, if we're sick, if our parents are sick and we need to help care for them, if our partner deploys, if we need to take safe leave because of our relationship has really like become unsafe. really bad and we need out all of those things like for a storm in our own lives, we have this public system in place that we funded together so that we're ready for that. I don't think that we're going back to business as usual after the pandemic. Mm, and it's not mm -hmm. just because I think it showed us things that maybe not all of us did before, which I think it did. Mm -hmm. But it's also because we're entering a time of, I think, increased economic stability, instability, because of supply chain challenges that we saw during the pandemic, but I don't think they're going away. Partly because I think corporations realize how much profit they can make from it. And partly because, you know, global supply chain instabilities are real. Yeah. And we're going to see more and more storms like this, physical storms yes. like this, like the one we yeah. just saw and, you know, social storms. And so I think that as I imagine what governing for this next decade of our lives is, or the next you know, 50 years of our life is, there are the things we need to do to sort of prevent further global catastrophe, right? So like strengthening our banking laws and strengthening our labor laws and reducing greenhouse gas emissions. And I think, you know, in the next week or two, we're going to talk about S5. But there's also like the reality that we're all here living with these storms. Right. And so I think we need a government that can really help people withstand those storms. And that includes like making sure that we're strengthening our grid so mm -hmm. it can respond to power lines being down and making sure that we have things like family medical leave insurance for the individual incidents in our lives. And yeah. so like, that's, that's sort of where I'm coming from with this whole bill. And then I can take mm -hmm. it talk about the details after that, but like, that's, that's the big picture. That's the story behind the legislation as we're sort of stepping into this next thing. That's, I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah, it brought up for me 
in this storm when I was watching the the snow go sideways past the window. I, I guess how the language I would use is having a backup to the backup, because when upheaval happens, for example, just with me, I hadn't. Uh, I have a little what I call my apaco closet. <laughs> She kind Tell of inherited from my dad. Tell me more. <laughs> Which, you know, it has it has bottled water. It has, you know, the things if the power goes out for more than a few hours, kind of. No, what's it's because I we I had we had a new I was talking to some friends last night. We had a new thing that we thought should go in this category. So what is in yours? Oh, so what's in mine? Um, candles, flashlight, mm-hmm. bottled water, a bucket which gets filled before the storm comes and sits in the bathroom in case, mm-hmm. you know, you have to refill the toilet. A little first aid kit, because if the power goes out, you know you're not rummaging through the bathroom in the dark. And then food that does not need to be heated to be eaten, mm-hmm. like peanut butter or kind of canned goods you can eat like right out of the can, that that sort of thing. Doesn't need to be refrigerated, doesn't need to be heated to be eaten. That's kind of what's So in there. my friends realized that they should pre-grind their coffee. Oh, see, I have instant coffee in mine. We have it. We actually, I have, I don't drink coffee, but I have instant coffee in the house because it's good for baking and I have a, we have a family who likes it. So (laughs) yeah. And so people were talking about like, oh my goodness, I've heard, talked to so many people who were like, I'm finally going to get a generator. We really need a generator. And I'm like, really? Like more fossil fuels? You want a generator? And I was like, I feel like I just need like, a. but you know, when I think about like converting, you know, my oil furnace doesn't work if the power goes out, but certainly mm-hmm. a heat pump wouldn't work either if the power went out. Right. So, you know, making sure that my wood stove is up to snuff and all those things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's interesting, the resiliency and the need for coffee, which comes from, you know, another part of the world and like how exactly. we manage to fit those things together in these incredible times we're living in. Excuse me, folks who are watching on the YouTube, the sun is coming up behind me. Oh. very pretty I had a little halo there for a moment mm-hmm. no one noticed but <laughs> I noticed your halo because oh, I always you. see whenever I look at you I see a halo oh thank you yeah. that's just what I needed to start a Monday Good. I'm glad. <laughs> let's talk about the details of H66 mm-hmm. last I saw it provided up to 12 weeks of leave and it would be the money would be collected by employers half employer, half employee contribution. Yeah. So it's 12 weeks of leave First, everything except for bereavement, which is two weeks. Um, And that's how it came over from house general. House general. Oh my God. As someone who's gone through grief, you need way more than two weeks. I'm sorry. (laughs) I'm sorry. No, actually, okay, so I'm just going to say this about- But you can take it at any time. So you can take it sporadically. You can take like a few days and then take a few days another time. Okay. Well, because here's the interesting thing about grief is you have the initial shock. Yes. And where you just want to like curl into a ball and not move. But then once that wears off, you have all the technical stuff you got to do. And yeah. And a few people- (laughs) A few people had like a lot. That's one of the ones that really got sort of nitpicked um, Mm -hmm. a few people and it was introduced at two weeks. But a few people were like, why would you like take, why would you like need to grieve like three months out? And it's like, no, you deal with an estate three months out. And that's like incredibly time consuming. Mm -hmm. 
partly because so many of our tax laws related to estates are so complicated, but yes. we don't need to get into that right now. <laughs> that was last week's trauma. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so, and then the program is, so employers basically pay a payroll tax to the Department of Taxes um, the same way they sort of, you know, essentially pay a payroll tax now to the federal government, but it's just part of your withholding and part of what you send in regularly. You know, all the, most people use a payroll tax service at this point and the payroll tax service would, is going to get new forms from the Department of Taxes that they'll use. It's set up so that the employer can opt for the employee to pay for half of it. But if the employer does not, if the employee pays and the employer does not remit that money, because it's sort of set up as a, most of these things are set up like trust taxes, meaning that the money isn't sort of not the employer's, it's actually um, being held right. on behalf of the employee. The employee is still eligible for the program. Ah, okay. What that's about... just sort of like, that's basically to protect the employee in cases of like wage theft and fraud and things like right. that. Um, what about uh, self-employed? Self-employed people. have a lot of those. I know. And you're looking at one of them. <laughs> um, self-employed people can opt into the program. So it is a universal program. Okay. The rainbows are okay. I don't think they're gonna... okay. 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 Sorry if anyone's getting blinded on YouTube. I kind of love it. <laughs> it's pretty. So the, um, for folks who earn wages, it is all employers must join the program unless okay. they have a comparable program that they're offering, a comparable or better program that they're already offering. But for self-employed folks, you can opt into the program, mm -hmm. sign up, and you pay the full payroll tax, the same way you pay the full payroll tax to the feds when you're self-employed. But still, you're getting so much. So if you get the make the average weekly wage, you're paying in around $250 a year, and you're getting up to 12 weeks of income covered. So that is like, it's a yeah. good deal. It's a, For a I, like, I feel so good about what a good deal it is. It's something that I'm, you know, who as a self-employed person is making all these choices. I um, don't put money into retirement because I can't afford it. And, but like, I will definitely pay into this program. Wow. That is, it is a lot of Halo, Olga. I think we should take a class for you to figure out your <laughs> situation. Yeah, I'm going to turn off my camera, folks, but I'm listening. Um, I'm just going to turn oh, it off. Oh, it's all better. Oh, fixed. see? Mm -hmm. There must be clouds going by. Okay. Um, so so uh, just out of curiosity, I don't know if you know this, but you're talking about the average wage, these numbers being based on an average wage. Do you happen to know what that is? Oh, give me a moment. And I will pull it up. So I will talk while I pull that up because I should have had it open in the first place. Sorry. So other pieces of this, there's a tax rebate mm -hmm. that we built in, in the Ways and Means Committee. So for folks who make less than $25,000 a year, they can get a credit on their taxes for this. Okay. That felt really important. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. To Because payroll taxes are not as progressive as a lot of other right. of the right. work we do, that felt like an important way of making this more progressive. Go ahead. It made me think, I know the governor or floated a, a similar program that was volunteer. And I think it was with, if you lived in New Hampshire or Vermont, you could participate. And one thing that brought up for me is 
the economies of scale, you know, the more people you have in a program, the better. <laughs> My halo's back. Did you think of this as you were putting that bill together? Would it be worth coupling with another state or partnering with another state so that we could have more people in the pool? Why do we go just Vermont alone? So in the long term, as programs get established, we could look at partnering with other states. We spent a lot of time talking to um, a few states out west, Colorado, Washington, Washington, D.C. actually has a great program. They're kicking off Rhode Island has a long term program. But because each state is sitting with a different sort of set of base infrastructure, so Rhode Island's been doing this for 50 years through their temporary disability program. Other states are building this onto their unemployment insurance program, which we, of course, could not do here in Vermont because we are an unemployment insurance program as a shell of a shell of a program. And so everyone has sort of slightly different needs. And in my experience, when this administration has looked to partner with other states, the follow through never happens, though the proposals sound really exciting. Um, We've had Mm. quite a few things like that that have sort of fallen apart at the last minute. Other really important differences at looking at these two programs is one of the interesting things about all of the privately administered programs that I have seen so far, and in talking to the contractor who's doing the private program here in Vermont right now with state employees, is that the insurance rate is based on an experience rating Mm. and is sort of privately negotiated each year for each employer separately. And so that means that basically whenever anyone takes a leave with that employer, the cost of the program is going to go up in the long term. And that creates a lot of perverse incentives for the employer to really sort of prevent people from taking leave. The other big difference, and then a lot of instability in the pricing because it's done in these smaller pools. The other really big difference that we talked about a lot, and one of the changes that the Ways and Means Committee made in the bill, is that the wage replacement level of the program as introduced and as it left House General was 100%. Hmm. The governor's program is significantly lower than that. I think it's 60, but I could be remembering wrong. But that's so low that folks who make the average weekly wage, which is $1,135 in 2022, Ah. um, would not be able to cover their costs. And so they won't be taking the leave program. And so California even right now is voting, is um, in the process of changing their wage replacement level and their family medical leave program for this very reason, that people weren't using the program because their wage replacement was not high enough for it to be a viable way to weather the storm for them. Right. But we did make one change related to the wage replacement level in ways and means, which we actually did change it from 100% to 90%. Okay. Because certain kinds of family leave are taxed differently at the federal level than others and would need Hmm. to be taxed differently at the state level than others. And so... There were situations where folks would actually wind up with more money in their pocket at the end of the day from taking leave at 100% than 90% because of the tax treatment of those two payments. And that felt like not quite right. So at 90%, we know that folks will either have sort of a comparable amount of money at the end of the day or a very small amount less um, because of the tax treatment. Thank you. Hey, Emily, I'm going to stop you there. One, because we're out of time. And two, I really need to deal with with the rainbows. 
So we are going to take a break and hear from some of our underwriters on the Montpelier Happy Hour here on WVEW 107.7 LP Brattleboro, your community radio station. So don't touch that dial if you're listening. <laughs> Your happy hour here on WVEW 107.7 LP Brattleboro, your community radio station. If you're just joining us, I am your host, Olga Peters, and I'm speaking with regular contributor Emily Kornheiser about H66, the paid family medical leave insurance program that is working its way through the House Committee on Appropriations at the moment. Welcome back, Emily. What do we need to remind listeners of? Thanks so much, Olga, for welcoming me back and to the show. The views and opinions expressed here on the show are those of the host and the guests, respectively. Not the station, not the platform, not their employers or friends. Well done. Thank Mm -hmm. you. We were talking. Oh, yes. Well, one of the things that's funny about the not their opinions part is we've sort of talked a lot about the House Family Medical Leave Program, and we've talked Mm -hmm. a little bit about the Governor's Family Medical Leave thing. Right. But what we haven't talked about is the Senate's position. Oh, that's right. And that is a very interesting thing that's gotten a lot of headlines this week. Mm -hmm. So when actually I got home and like my two friends that read Digger, most of my friends don't pay any attention at all to what I do, but my... My one or two friends that track it a little bit were like, oh, it seems like you had a really bad week because there were all of these headlines in the mm-hmm. paper about, you know, the Senate's position on family medical leave. And I was like, no, actually, I had a fantastic week. I got like a huge amount done. It's policy crossover. We like got things out bold and strong that, you know, I wasn't sure about. And I feel great about the week. But yeah, it's been quite the accomplishment. Thank you. It was quite the accomplishment. All kinds of other bills we haven't even talked about on the show yet that we can talk about. But the Senate made big headlines this week as I believe on the same day that we passed family medical leave, um, age 66, out of committee, out of Ways and Means Committee and sent it over to appropriations. The Senate was working on voting their child care bill, this massive expansion of affordable, accessible child care out of their first policy committee. So not their money committee, but the policy committee. Mm -hmm. And sort of the assumption going into the legislative session was that we would work on family medical leave for the first half of the session, then crossover while the Senate was working on this massive childcare bill. And then we would go swapsies. And the Senate from the beginning has had some concerns about like, you know, and lots of people have like, can you really do it all? And as you know, Olga, I feel like it's not that we can do it all. I mean, we can, but it's also that like Vermonters really need us too. Yeah. And the two programs, you know, they have like, they have some nice threads that connect them. But what the Senate did at sort of the final hour, really, in their policy committee is add an amendment to their child care bill that created leave, a leave program just for parents and just for one parent. So Hmm. both partners in like if there are two people in a relationship parenting, only one partner can take that leave. So 
all kinds of things to say about that. Yeah. We can sort of get into the details of in a second, but essentially sort of they put the two policies together. Mm-hmm. And um, it's now on its way to their finance committee who will figure out like how to pay for all of these things mm-hmm. as one package. All the headlines were, oh my God, Senate's trying to crash family medical leave. This is all they're going to do. Getting in front of the argument, blah, 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 blah. Very exciting, very dramatic. Mm-hmm. I see it. Maybe a little rosy colored glasses here, but I really see this as like the Senate saying like, this is an essential program. We want to make sure it's in multiple vehicles so that we can ensure it's going to happen. And let's think about how maybe we can finance these two programs together instead of separately. Mm -hmm. Why not? And what's interesting about it is all of the conversations around the child care bill have always been about the payroll tax. I don't actually sort of historically, I don't think that the payroll tax is really inappropriate revenue source to pay for expanding our system of child care, though I do okay. think payroll tax is appropriate for family medical leave. But, you know, I'll see what happens in Senate finance as they mix the two things together. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, for me, I thought the the uh, headlines around the child care bill that the Senate's working on, and this echoes to paid family medical leave, you know, is that question of access and meeting people where they are at that point in their life so they can actually use these programs. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes we have a lot of great programs in Vermont, but they're a bit of a bear mm-hmm. to actually access and use. Mm-hmm. And so one thing I was wondering about is, you know, how much friction or drag do these programs have? And I think that will make the biggest difference over time about people using them is how easy it is to actually access and use use the benefit. Yeah, and we took all of this really interesting testimony from other states, like essentially about them working through the friction of their own programs and what mm. they need to do to have them work well. And so I feel, and I know the treasurer's office has been having much deeper conversations on that as they get ready to prepare to implement a program like this. And they're being really mindful of it. The Senate... You know, and like, I don't, I don't even think the language has been entirely released yet, certainly not the financing of it, but it's means testing the program itself, not just mm. the pay in for the program. And that always creates a lot more friction, right? Means testing is like the frictioniest friction you can add to anything, right? <laughs> um, and even sort of the debates about like public schools and private schools that are happening in another committee room in the legislature about like what, you know, what does a private school need to do to get public dollars? Like that's about actually reducing friction for folks who are mm-hmm. trying to attend that private school. So I really like that angle, Olga. So one of the interesting things about the take up, about the estimates around take up rates that joint fiscal used to figure out the costs of the family medical leave program really points to where the need is in Vermont, right? And the highest need is not actually around new children. It's mostly about people taking leave for their own health. Mm -hmm. So it's been really interesting to see, you know, AARP Vermont or other organizations like that who are not very engaged on issues of childcare, but are deeply engaged in issues around other kinds of care come, you know, be very clear, like, no, we actually need this full program. This isn't just about parenting. It's about Mm -hmm. all aspects of our lives. 
I appreciate that. I think so often when we are gauging a program or or someone's recovery on an X, Y, and Z, I think so often we re- we treat that timeline as if someone broke an arm. And not that I want people breaking arms, but when a bone is mending, for the most part, it tends it tends to kind of do the same thing in the same timeline. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as health, it tends to be a fair, fairly straightforward thing. But there's so many things around health and caring for family and caring for ourselves that does not follow a straight line. And we need, I think sometimes our programs aren't quite as robust as they need to be around that undulating timeline that many things can have, you know, like COVID, does someone get, two people can get COVID, but one of them can get long COVID, which is a, you know, Mm -hmm. a different thing. Yeah, no. And, you know, cancer, which so many Vermonters get every year, right? Like that's, Mm -hmm. that's sporadic care taking. It's sporadic care taking for the individual. It's sporadic care taking for someone in their lives. It's not just sort of a straight healing Mm -hmm. line. So that's been a really interesting part of the conversation. Cause again, it gets back to like, you know, what are our demographics in Vermont and what do they need and what are they going to need in the future? And in areas of greater need, we see areas of greater cost, right? Mm -hmm. And that's, that's, that's just how it works. And so cutting costs on a program meaning me often means you're actually cutting the program from those who might need it most, Mm -hmm. because that's sort of the, you know, easiest way to cut the costs. Also, really interesting conversations about sufficiency, right? Like what, what are Vermonters willing to do today, you know, investing in both of these programs in order to have the state that we want to really live in. And that's meeting people's needs in five years. Right. Which is a really interesting nut to crack because so many people who could really benefit from these programs, if you have sort of been just putting pieces together and making things work in your life and doing a little bit of that paycheck to paycheck, starting to look long-term can be really hard. Yeah. Because you're like, no, I just have to take care of today and make sure today doesn't fall apart. Mm-hmm. I can't think about next year. <laughs> yeah. But when we look at like the really positive social returns from you know, access to housing programs, housing first programs, um, affordable school programs, all of that. When we look at the long, you know, like modernizing welfare programs, the long-term financial returns on that for the state are all based around people being able and having enough space in their lives to start thinking long-term, right? Mm -hmm. And it's sort of this constant conundrum in state government of, are we able to do that ourselves? And Mm -hmm. so this real like amazing crush of federal money we have and unexpected revenues related to federal money means that we can spend this money that's really only available this year and next year to set up the program so that it can sustain itself fairly immediately once tax rates kick in. So previous Mm -hmm. conversations around this program have had a fairly long pay-in period on the payroll tax before the program Mm -hmm. kicked off because that's how we had to pay for it. This year, we have this one-time money that we can spend to kick off the program, to build up the trust fund that will pay out and to set up the IT systems so that 
fairly soon after Vermonters start paying in on the payroll tax, they will be able to access this program. And so it really, it's a really nice combination of sort of short-term and long-term thinking, right? Like Mm -hmm. one of the most important ways we do long-term thinking is to only use, you know, these one, to use these one-time dollars strategically to invest in big, bold things that don't have, that will save ongoing costs, right? And so that feels really exciting. And it means that Vermonters don't have to think too long-term when they're paying in a payroll tax to be like, why am I paying this tax? What does this mean for me? How is this improving my life? They'll be able to see immediate returns themselves. That's brilliant. Mm -hmm. What's the next step for this bill? It's with House Appropriations. Mm -hmm. Where does it go next? They are going to vote it out probably today or tomorrow. They're probably might even be talking about it right now because House Appropriations meets on Mondays, unlike the rest of the legislature. And then it'll come to the House floor sometime this week for a vote. Mm -hmm. And then it'll get sent over to the Senate from there. And then, you know, and we're going to be getting that child care bill from the Senate really soon. And so that'll be really interesting to see, you know, how all of these bills get sort of put together and taken back apart and Mm -hmm. see what people do with them. So the cloud hanging over all this is past attempts have for paid family medical leave have been vetoed. Yes, they have. So the What's... house bill was introduced with 103 sponsors. Mm-hmm. That's enough to override a veto. Uh-huh. Um, Senate bill had a whole lot of sponsors too. And so that feels actually like, you know, that feels like a doable cloud this year compared to- oh, good. Yeah, it's more like sort of the Senate's negotiating with the Senate feels like the hardest part right now. Hmm. I think once we get on the same page, we can navigate things with the governor. Okay. Well, thank you, Emily. Anything else about paid family medical leave you want to make sure people understand at this time? No, I think that's it. I think it's just like really part of this conversation around what does it take to build the government that we're going to need into the future? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We have just about 10 minutes. Any other bills you want to let people know? Uh, I know the the 72-hour waiting period mm-hmm. for handguns mm-hmm. uh, has been getting some coverage lately. Mm-hmm. And there's so, been some other coverage around housing. Um, yeah. So, you know, crossover, policy crossover was last week. And so all the bills that are going to sort of, not all the bills, but many of the sort of Um, caucus priority bills that were going to make it out of policy committees made it or didn't. And so the suicide prevention bill, which was, had a lot of material related to guns and gun waiting periods and safe storage was voted out of house healthcare, spent some time in house judiciary and it's coming to the floor. That bill came from like a really interesting place around Vermont's incredibly high suicide rates Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. and some really troubling research around folks who attempt suicide. I think it's um, sort of more equal along gender lines, Mm -hmm. but completing that suicide, men are much more likely to do that because they tend to use guns rather than um, pills or other kinds of self-harm. Right. And really the number one way we can prevent suicide in Vermont is... um, by making sure that folks don't have access to a gun at the exact moment that they're thinking about suicide. 
because there's all of this really interesting research about if someone gets through that initial period and seeks help, they actually don't attempt suicide again. Right. Which surprised me. I didn't know that. Yes, me too. Information for me. Other big bills, not quite as impactful as suicide reduction, but an expansion on the bottle bill. Oh, yeah. So, um, you know, right now you pay a deposit on beer and soda, but you don't pay a deposit on wine or water. Mm -hmm. And so expanding that out a little bit. As someone who's like, since I started living on a dirt road, really stopped redeeming my bottles. I don't really drink beer or soda, so I didn't actually have all that many bottles to redeem. But I was really interested to learn that bottles that go into the bottle redemption system or cans that go into the bottle redemption system, it's much cleaner recycling material. And so both has a higher resale value on the used goods market, mm-hmm. but also can have a much higher sort of reuse purpose. So glass from a redemption system is often clean enough that it can be turned into glass again, whereas glass from a mixed recycling system like we have in Vermont often becomes road fill. Hmm. Yeah. So interesting. Yeah. And so expanding the redemption system is a real way to sort of get cleaner recycled goods that can have a higher, higher, wiser purpose. Universal school meals, we passed that out of policy committee and ways and means, and that's going to come to the floor um, to make sure that all Vermonters who are in school have access to food. And as my colleague, Catherine Sims said, you know, we don't means test school buses or books at school. Why are we means testing the meal that happens at school? Right. Why don't we reduce friction in that environment? Because everyone is better off when we do. Mm-hmm. Sports betting. We talked about that with Michael mm-hmm. McCarthy a few weeks ago. The Ways and Means Committee added a lot more consumer protections to that and oh, okay. um, sort of stronger contracting language. Yeah, there's a big debate around sort of what public schools and what private schools need mm. to be required to do. That's going to mm-hmm. come to the floor this week. So like a, a lot happening. And then housing. Right. The, big, the big housing omnibus bill is in the Senate and is going to come over to the House And so the House bill that just was voted out is more focused on a housing registry, a rental registry, and then some some work on GA emergency housing language. Okay. Wow. Any bills that look like they won't make it to the end or, or bills that will make it to the end that surprised you? Well, one bill I was sort of excited about had like a final end of the sort of um, at the last minute, a lot of momentum, um, mm-hmm. but I don't think was voted out on Friday, was a right to repair bill in the agriculture committee. I was pretty excited oh, right. about that one. Yes. Um, I was the lead sponsor on that for a few years, but they are still working on it. And that could be a full biennium project. Because remember, this is the first half of this mm-hmm. biennium. And so That's just true. because something doesn't mm-hmm. pass this year doesn't mean it needs to be reintroduced. It still can, you know, a lot of policy work can be done on it. That's okay. like the only one that comes to mind. We were... I think people were pretty efficient in their work. That's nice to hear because one thing we were talking about at the very beginning of the session was how many new people there were and what that might mean for committee work, you know, because you have to get all those new people up to speed. Yeah. But it seems like it's going well. I think so. I mean, there was a real, I think a lot of what happened was everyone got up to speed at sort of the same time. 
So I think usually policy priorities trickle out a little bit more than they have this year. Pretty much like every priority was voted out of its policy committee within a day or two of each other. Mm -hmm. Um, So it still remains to be seen if everything can get through ways and means and appropriations in time. Uh. (laughs) Because it's quite a, it's quite a little puzzle. And I'm very grateful for my committee assistant who... Cree, you know, navigates the jigsaw of getting, I think we've worked on or voted on 10 different bills on Friday, for instance, in committee. Sounds intense. Yeah. Well, Emily, anything we want to leave listeners with before we head out for the week? Just really encourage people to be like thoughtful and abundant in the role of government in the midst of all of this change and chaos and struggle we're all seeing. It's really easy to get scared and squeeze in and just think about, you know, our own individual generators rather than strengthening the grid. Mm -hmm. That's a good point. Thank you. Mm -hmm. If people want to find out more about you, Emily, where do they go? Folks can go to emilykornheiser.org where you will find links to my email and my phone number and my social media, blogs, whatever else. And then second Saturday of every month, I'm at the library at 1030 in the morning with Tristan and Molly and Nader and Wendy talking about legislative stuff. Nice. When you say library, you mean Brooks Memorial? I do mean Brooks Memorial Library because that is the Brattleboro Library. Thank you. You are very welcome. Well, normally that's what I would think, but since Nader and Wendy Mm -hmm. were our states, our county senators, I didn't know if you moved around. Well, And the Montpelier Happy can be found every Friday at 2 p.m. on WVEW 107.7 LP Brattleboro, your community radio station. You can also find us on BCTV as well as wherever you find your podcasts. So have a great week, everybody. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.